Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. Praise God. Thank God for His Word. We're talking about the fact that the Bible's all about Jesus. This is lesson number two. And I'm going to give you a quick introduction and then a quick review before we continue our study uh, this morning. So first of all, if I were to give you four statements about the message of the Bible, you know, we can really satisfy all those who have any question about the Big Bang Theory. It's as simple as that. Four statements. Statement number one. It's a revelation of the Father's desire or dream to have a family. I don't know about you, but I really enjoy family. Do you love family? Right. Thank God for family, right? Well, that was his desire from the very beginning, to have a family. The second message of the Bible is redemption from sin. The third message of the Bible is the family dream coming true. The Father's dream for a family coming true. And finally, we have the family home. Everybody wants to have a family home, right? And that's the new heavens and the new earth. So if you look at it that way, in a nutshell, you have a revelation of the message of the Bible. Now, with that understanding, we answer some serious questions. Question number one, what's the reason for the universe? We have all these people studying to find out what it is. Is there life out there? Is this... Wait a minute. The reason for the universe is to provide a livable environment on earth. How about that? Simple. Right? Anybody here have a desire to live on a moon? How about Pluto? Saturn? Mars? Not Mars, Pennsylvania. Mars. Not moon, Pennsylvania. Moon. The moon. No, I don't. Right? So what's the reason for the universe? To provide a livable environment on earth. What's the reason for the earth? To provide for the needs of man. Aren't you glad you have a place where you can live? And resources that are here to meet your every need? Right? Well, what's the reason then for the man? To provide a family for God. Now, wasn't that easy? To provide a family for God. It's all about family. Remember Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 when he said, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family of God in heaven and earth is named. It's all about family. That's what the Bible is all about. Everything was set in motion. Everything was going smoothly until someone came along and tempted Eve. And what happened? All of a sudden, man sins and his sin separates him from God and shatters the father's dream for a family. His sin is so far reaching, it reaches heaven. And the unthinkable occurs. What happens? What's the unthinkable? Instead of being elevated to sonship with the father who wanted a family, he falls to becoming the offspring of Satan himself. Can you imagine that? If you don't believe me, ask Jesus in John 8, 44, who said to all these Jewish leaders, 
you're of your father, the devil. Look at what Paul said. And who taught Paul the gospel? Jesus in Ephesians chapter 2. Look, look what he said beginning at verse 1. And you have thee quickened or made alive. Who were dead in trespasses and sin, were in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we all, also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of the flesh and of the mind, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, were by nature children of wrath, even as others. See, the father's desire for a family was thwarted. And everybody in the human race became an offspring of the enemy, a child of wrath. And guess what? There's no hope. There's no hope to change the situation. We're completely identified with him throughout eternity unless God himself would become a man. Man's salvation would be based on an incarnation. The incarnation of the second person of deity to become a man, to identify both with God and man, and reconcile man back to God by dying for him and redeeming him from his fallen state. That is the message of the Bible. Well, guess what? God so loved the world that he did that. Now the review. We said the Bible is all about Jesus. We need to start hearing more messages about Jesus. Because it's all about Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. Jesus is the seed of the woman spoken of in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Everybody say seed. I want to drive this point home into our hearts and minds. Jesus was and is the seed of the woman who would come into the world and crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the one who would do that. Mary was the woman and the seed's name, Jesus. Then we saw through our study that the seed was called the seed of Abraham. So it comes from the seed of the woman. And there's more involved, but then it gets to the point where he's called the seed of who? Abraham. And then Abraham is responsible for what? The nation of Israel. Because God was going to raise up a nation. But I want to put this in perspective. Let's keep it in perspective. Why was the nation of Israel created? For the seed. To be preserved. So that the Messiah, the Messiah is the seed, would have a legal entrance into the world that we're living in. So we follow the seed from Genesis 3.15 all the way through Abraham. And then the need for the nation to protect the seed so the seed could have a righteous line to get into the world. And I'll show that to you. We talked about it last week. And every type, every shadow, every feast pointed to one person of all Jewish history, of all the sacrifices and all the feast days and all that they did back then, pointed to one person and what's his name? The seed, Jesus, making a way for him to come into the world. So, it's all about Jesus. Then you come over to the New Testament and who is it about? 
Jesus, His birth, first of all, His life, His incarnation, the Word became flesh. The Word, you could say the seed, became flesh. The seed of Genesis 3.15, the seed of Abraham, the seed that was protected through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, now became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the seed. And because he's the seed, he said, except the seed die and go to the ground, he abides alone. Right? Okay, so now he's in the, in the earth. And the New Testament is all about the seed, Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his seating at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the one who crushed the head of the devil and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, and reconciled all things back to the Father by His great sacrifice. So notice, the Bible is not about a nation. The Bible is about a seed. And His name is? As we continue our study, let's go back to Genesis chapter 4, just for a moment, and verse 25. Because sometimes we read these things and we have no clue as to what the significance is. Now, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, said she, had appointed me another what? Another what? Hmm. Instead of who? Abel, whom Cain slew. See, we've got Adam and Eve, but now we've got Cain and Abel. Cain is the unrighteous seed, right? And Abel is the righteous seed, correct? What happened to the righteous seed, Abel? Cain killed the righteous seed. So what did God do? God gave her another seed to replace Abel. What's his name? And what does it mean? Substituted. That's what it means. So we have now a righteous line and an unrighteous line. And the righteous line is to be preserved for what reason? To bring the seed into the world. Well, in the line of Seth, guess what we discover? We have Abraham. We have Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Noah. Jesus. So you go from Seth, you go to Noah, you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and it goes all the way to Jesus. So what does all that mean? That the seed was being preserved so that the, the Messiah could come into the world. Hmm, question. What happened to Cain's seed during the days of Noah? Do a study. They're all drowned. It was through Noah and his seed, and through the line of Seth came Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jesus. What is that, young people out there? You think it doesn't pay to serve the Lord? Yeah. Cain became a vagabond, a fugitive. He was under a curse for the rest of his life. And everyone in him, everything became so wicked that they all had to be removed. Only ones left, 
Noah and his family. And that was it. So as a result of the seed being protected by Almighty God, we now have, as I said, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then coming all the way to Jesus. So, with that as a backdrop, look with me in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. And now let's put this into a proper setting. Here in Hebrews 1, let's read the first four verses first. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past to the fathers, how by the prophets, but hath in his last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, but whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he had by inheritance attained a more excellent name than they. All right. The book of Hebrews is one of the two powerful manuscripts, theological manuscripts ever written. These are the two that impacted the thinking of the church in the days that they were submitted. The one is Romans, and the message of Romans is righteousness that comes by faith, which had to be communicated effectively to the people because they were under the law and learning about the law and all that. They thought they can please God on their own. But that's not our subject. Our subject is Hebrews. Hebrews was written to encourage Jewish Christians to remain in the faith and continue serving the Lord. Well, why did he have to write that? It was written because many were defecting from the faith. Many were apostatizing. Many were walking away from Christianity and they were going back into Judaism. And why were they doing that? Well, think about it. I don't know about your religious background. I know about mine. Religion can have a stronghold in your life. Jesus himself said this. Do you realize that your traditions, the traditions of men, have made the word of God of none effect? Didn't he say that? So they were beginning to exalt their traditions above the things of God. Above the person of Christ. So... He wrote this to encourage them to stay in the faith, continue walking with the Lord. Now, if you go back and you think about this, this was a time when grace was beginning to take over and the law was being done away with. This is a time when Old Testament worship was ending and New Testament worship was beginning. Old Testament service was ending and New Testament service was beginning. So this is called a transitional period. Do you recall in AD 70 how the temple was destroyed? Right? Think about it. Man can be very strong-willed, is a good word to use. They wanted to continue in what they were practicing because it had such a stronghold over their lives. Now think about this. The temple was an awe-inspiring place. The way it was built. Remember the disciples said to Jesus, look at this beautiful edifice. Isn't it wonderful, Lord? And of course, his response was, in the most gorgeous place I've ever seen. No, he said, not one brick, not one stone will be left on the other. It's not about the temple. Hebrews was written to let these people know 
that Jesus is superior to the law, to the feast days, to the sacrifices. He's superior to all these things. And it was written to tell them who he was superior to and why and what he was superior to. He was greater than all these things, but you see, they couldn't get it. So you think about this, for all these years, this is how you practice religion. For all your life, say, for me it was 24 years I did it this way. And to think when I got saved, whoa, it's completely different. How many of you know you carry a lot of that religious baggage with you when you come out? It's true. You've got to almost get deprogrammed and reprogrammed, and then you're afraid to do so because I'm not used to this. I'm not used to that. This is so different. Well, he wrote this, to, uh, the writer wrote this to let them know, look, you're not following an inferior way. You are following a superior way. So it's okay to stop the practice of going into the temple Offering a sacrifice, following the feast days, and doing all that you used to do. Because you see, there's a new and living way that He has made for us through His flesh and by His blood. So that you have access to God without all that directly. So look at here. Who? Look at the... Comparison. I, I wrote this specifically. No comparison. For a reason. In the first two verses, let's throw them up again. How do we make a comparison here? I put no comparison for a reason. God who at sundry times and diverse matters in times past spake unto the fathers. How? By the prophets. So back then he had spokesmen. These spokesmen spoke to the Jewish ancestors to the fathers, how? By the prophets. So the prophets, God spoke to the prophets. He spoke in different ways. He used angels. He used visions. He used dreams. He used audible voices, remember? And he spoke to all these people, all these things. And you know what? They become spectacular to people. Remember the Jews says, but hey, we know he spoke to Moses. We know Moses was up on the mountain. We know that he heard the voice of God. He, we saw the fire. We saw the smoke. We couldn't even touch the mountain because we quaked if we got near it. They saw that. That's impacting, is it not? Yeah. And so it was just ingrained within them. This is the way. But you see, they didn't realize that that was only part of the way. It wasn't all the way. In these last days, it goes on to say, those days from Genesis to Malachi, he spoke through spokesmen. Half in these last days, the end of the Jewish age and the time of the Messiah... He had a spokesman. Not plural. Singular. Anybody know his name? Okay, make a comparison. There is no comparison. Compare Moses to Jesus. Compare Abraham to Jesus. Isaac to Jesus. Isaiah to Jesus. Jeremiah to Jesus. Is there a comparison? None whatsoever. So why is it easier for them to gravitate toward all that they knew, their religious traditions and all that? Because you see, that was ingrained in them. That was embedded within them. They were programmed that way. 
Now we have this new message, the message that grace is taking over, the finished work of Christ is taking over, and all that Jesus did is superior to what the law produced. Besides, the promise was made to Abraham before the law ever came. The law came 430 years later, and it was only revealed for, to, for what reason? To show man that he can't keep the law, he can't serve God, he can't save himself, it's impossible. So the law, the nation of Israel, with the Levitical priesthood of the law, was all designed to show man he can't save himself. He needs a Savior. He can go to the temple 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can sit there all day long and never get saved. Impossible. Grace has taken over. The finished work of Christ has taken over. And God spoke to us by His Son, not by these others. Because He's the perfect one, the Messiah. Look at the next, the why. Now, why is He superior? Number one, He's the heir of all things. Is He not the only begotten Son of the Father? And the first begotten Son of the Father is the heir, the beneficiary of everything that God has. Secondly, he is the creator of all things. That means he's the one that brought everything into existence. Remember John's gospel, chapter 1 and verse 1? In the beginning was the word, the word with God, and the word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not made anything that was made. He is the creator of all things. Okay, then the third thing is he is the brightness of his glory. He is the outshining radiance of the very glory of God. And remember the apostles on the Mount of Transfiguration said what they saw him in his glory. And what did John say in the first chapter of his, of his uh, gospel? He said, we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. They actually saw, can you imagine the sight that they saw when they saw him transfigured and just the radiant outshining light of the glory of Almighty God? The brightness of his glory. They saw that. Can you... Can we say, was Peter that way? No, as a matter of fact, Peter wanted to build some tabernacles so they could stay there for a while. He wanted, that's what religion does. Let's, let's make a, a doctrine out of this. But no, he's the brightness of his glory. He's the express image of his person. What does that mean? He's the exact representation of the very being and the character of God. So much so, he could say this. He could say, Philip, if you've seen me... You have seen the Father. So, Philip, why are you asking me to show you the Father, Philip? Because if you have seen me up to this point, then you have seen the Father. You've seen His being. You've seen His character. You've seen His heart. You've seen His compassion. You've seen His mercy. You've seen His will because He was the will of God in motion. When Jesus walked upon this planet, He was the exact representation of the living God on earth in flesh among men. Hallelujah. You see, that's why it's important that if you're a person out there that you're, you're witnessing to somebody and they say, well, you know, but I, the, these other people, they believe that this one was a prophet and that one was a prophet. Jesus said many false prophets will come into the world and when they say, hey, lo, here's Christ, lo, there's Christ, don't even gravitate that way because there's only one Christ and there's only one way, there's only one Son of God who is the exact representation of the living God himself. His name is Jesus. So when someone says, but Jesus is just like a good religious person, he's a good role model, he's a good teacher, he may be a God, he may... Whoa, just a moment. 
No, no, no. That's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches that he, the second person of deity, left the glory world behind. He set aside his mighty power and glory. He robed himself in flesh in the body of a woman named Mary. And the seed emerged from her womb as the Son of God, as the Messiah, the Most High on earth, among men, the temple of the living God. That's who he is. And that's where redemption comes from. And then... He is also the one that upholds all things by the word of his power. What does that mean? He not only created it, but he sustains it. Do you want to know why I chuckle when I have all these people, when I hear them all making all this to do about the world's coming to an end? Does that mean Jesus is coming to an end? Because you see, Jesus is upholding this world with the right hand of his power. With the very spoken word of his mouth, this world will not be changed until the end time when he says it's going to change by fire. It'll be renovated by fire. A new heavens and a new earth. It doesn't mean that it's going to be destroyed at all. He's going to come again and he's going to do all this. But that's not our subject. But the point is, you see, that Jesus is the one that's going to take care of all these things. And so, you know, climate and all this climate change and all that stuff. You think that's greater than God? Then the one who upholds all this by the word of his power, that's an impossibility. Because no matter what man does, God is greater than man. And he'll see to it that nothing happens to this earth until it's time that he does something to this earth. So sell your generator. You ready for the next one? He alone. Why? We're talking, why is he greater? Why is he better? Why is he superior? Because he alone purged our sin. He alone cleared our record. He alone removed our guilt. You see, man was separated from God and no way back to God. Could not be reconciled to God. But by this one sacrifice of the Son of God, He, hallelujah, removed our sin, our guilt, our shame. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Can somebody say hallelujah? That's why he's superior. Could Moses do that? No. Could Abraham do that? Could Isaac do that? Could Jacob do that? What about Joshua? He's a good guy. Can he do that? No. No, no one can do it. But someone did it. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. He has nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. Oh, hallelujah. He nailed it to the cross. You see, He purged our sin. That's why He's superior. That's why He's greater. That's why He's better. And then also, after He did all this, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, which means he is seated at the highest place of honor in all of the universe. And then he was rewarded by giving a name above every other name. So at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does anybody bow to Moses' name? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. All wonderful names, but you don't bow to it. All the universe bows to this name. And if you're alive, bow now. 
so that you don't have to bow later and then burn. Bow now. Amen. So who is he greater than? He's greater than all. Look at the next. That's why he's greater, but who and what? Now remember, we're talking about Jewish Christians that were tempted to go back into Judaism, and this, this manuscript is written for what reason? To convince them that, look, you don't go back under the law. There's nothing there. It fulfilled its purpose, and Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant, and he kept his word to Abraham. And now it's the new covenant that's ushered in, and now there's a new and living way. So, as far as they were concerned, you see, they took great stock in the fathers and the prophets and the temple in particular. Oh my goodness, this elaborate edifice, so awe-inspiring. I mean, you would get there and have these little chill bumps just to look around. Now, don't get me wrong. You ready for this? This is, don't put this down dogmatically as if this is law. But listen to this. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if Israel would have accepted their Messiah? And would it have not been wonderful had they then got rid of all the sacrifices, all the feast days, and set them all aside and said, the fulfillment, the seed has come. Our Redeemer liveth. The Messiah is here with us. Let's go into the temple and let's worship Him this new and living way. And it would not have had to been destroyed. You're looking at me like an old cow at a new gate. Wouldn't that have been wonderful? See, why was it destroyed? They made it a God. That's why. Why did it all stop? Because their trust was in, we've got to have this sacrifice, you've got to kill a bullock, you've got to get a pigeon or a turtle dove and all that, we've got to do this, otherwise we're not forgiven. Oh, wait a minute, my Redeemer liveth. Yeah. It's a new and living way, not a dead way. It's, wouldn't that have been wonderful that the temple would still be there and they would be worshiping in spirit and in truth? But you see, it had to be removed. By judgment, it was removed because they exalted it above God. Okay, so let's look. I wrote these down specifically. How they trusted in the fathers. How they trusted in the temple. How they trusted in all the prophets and what they had spoke supposedly and said, even though they killed many of them, right? But Jesus and the book of Hebrews says, He's superior. He's greater. He's better. And that's what their message is. And that's why the Bible is all about one person. What's his name? Okay, number one, he's greater than Jonah. Look at Matthew's gospel. He's greater than Jonah. Chapter 12, verse 41. He is greater than Jonah. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonas, which is Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Wow. In other words, what is he saying? I'm greater than Jonah. You want to believe the report? What about this one? Look at the next verse. He's wiser than Solomon. Oh, everybody ran to hear the wisdom of Solomon. 
Look at this. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment against this with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus wasn't hiding who he was. How about this? He could have said it this way. The one who gave Solomon his wisdom is here. I gave him his wisdom. The cause is greater than the effect, wouldn't you say? All right, the third one. What about this one? He's greater than, oh, they trusted in Abraham. How they trusted in Abraham. We're not born of fornication. We're of our father Abraham. Oh, Jesus had something to say to them. What did he say? If you were of Abraham, you would love me. But you are not of your father Abraham. You are of your father, the devil. John 8, 44. Is that what he told those religious leaders? Yeah. Oh, a greater than, you know, Abraham was among them and they didn't recognize him. Let's read the verses in verse 52, John chapter 8. I have to admit to you, I was sitting in my office and I was just rehearsing this and going over it again and again. Every time I read these verses right here, I'm about to read you, I get those goosebumps. I get those chill bumps. When he says, I am, oh, I just, I'm about to come out of my skin. Because that whole chapter, they're, they're arguing with Jesus. You know, we know the truth. No, Jesus says, I am the truth. I'm the way that's right. Didn't he see that? He says, stay in my word. You're my disciple indeed. You know the truth. The truth make you free. What do you mean we'll be free? We're not bound to anything or anyone. Did you forget you were in slavery in Egypt? Did you forget all that? That God brought you out with a mighty hand and all those signs, wonders, and miracles? Did you forget about all that? We've never been a bond to any man. How you say this and all that? He goes, they said, we're of our father Abraham. He says, I know. He says, if you're of Abraham, you'd love me. If you, if you were of Abraham, you'd believe me. See, religion can be very deceiving. They thought that they were doing the right thing, but they were so wrong. He came to his own and his own received them not. And so he had to reject them and he had to judge them for that, right? So this continues the, the, the conversation that he's having with these religious leaders. And look what he says. Then said the Jews to him, now we know that you have a devil. Abraham is dead. The prophets are dead. And you say, if a man keep my sayings, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? They thought they had him right there. Are you greater than Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets who are dead, are you greater? Who makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. You have not known him, but I know him. If I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews to him, now thou art not yet 50 years old, and thou, thou six, you've seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. I am, meaning I'm the I am. I am Jehovah. I am, I am, the great I am, the one that was, the one that sent Moses. I'm the one that called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees. I am that I am. You're looking at the one who called Abraham. Then they took up stones to cast at him. And Jesus sent himself away and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. You talk about hard-headedness. I thought Italians had a hard head. What more could he have said to them? I am Jehovah, manifested in the flesh, and you don't believe me. If you loved Abraham... You'd love me, and you know 
that I came from him. But you know, you're just caught up in your religious tradition. Okay, next one. He's greater than the temple. Oh, this is the one that really gets to them. He's greater than the temple. Look in Matthew chapter 12, verse 6. But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. And what's his name? Who's he greater than? What's he greater than? I'll tell you what, he's greater than the temple. Because you see, the temple was only that dwelling place for the Shekinah glory of God in the Holy of Holies in the Ark of the Covenant that was housed in the temple and that made the temple great. But when he died on that cross and judgment fell, the Bible says the veil that separated the temple, the holiest place of all, from the holy place in the outer court was ripped in two from top to the bottom, indicating that an angelic being came down and ripped that thing apart and the Shekinah glory left the earth made Holy of Holies and went back into heaven. And when Jesus came, God Almighty sent the Holy Ghost down. The Holy Ghost came down to inhabit any person on this earth that would say, I believe that Jesus is greater than the temple. The very glory of God is on the inside of you and inside of me if you've been born again and filled with the Holy Ghost in power. So the greater one is Jesus among them. He's greater than the temple. The next one. He is greater than any angelic being. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4 again. Being made so much better than the angels. And once again, sometimes I hear people speak. Yeah, I understand, you know, so-and-so saw an angel. This one saw an angel. I'm talking about back in Bible days. You know, Mary saw the angel Gabriel. But you know that not one angel ever accepted human worship. Even on the Isle of Patmos, when an angel appeared to John, he bowed down and he says, no, 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 don't you dare do it. Get yourself back up. Worship God, not me. He's greater than any angel. Being so much better as by inheritance, he obtained a more excellent name than any of them. For goes on to say, which uh, any of the angels did he say this? Did he say, sit thou at my right hand till I make your enemies your foot, my foot, thy footstool? He didn't say that to an angel. A coronation ceremony took place at the right hand of God. And when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, he sat down and he was given back all the glory that he had before he left. He was given a name above every name. And everything and anything in all the created world of Almighty God was told, bow down and worship him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Can you see that? Next one. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Aaron. Put up, he's greater than Moses. Hebrews chapter 3. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who had built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. Yeah, God gave Moses a design to build a house for God upon the earth, but who's greater than the house? The one who designed it. And who's the one that designed it? Jesus. He's greater than that. And as you read the rest of these, throw the next one up. He's greater than Noah. He's greater than Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. For if Jesus had given them rest, this is Joshua. And in Hebrews 4, verse 8, it's, this is, see the name there, Jesus? That should be Joshua. And you can see it means the same, it's the same, and it should have been translated Joshua. For if Joshua had given them rest when he brought them to the promised land, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? And I read somewhere in my Bible, somewhere around Matthew 11, somewhere around verse 28, where someone said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Joshua couldn't give them complete rest, but I know someone who can. And what is his name? Jesus. Oh, he's greater than Joshua. All right. He's greater than Aaron. Look at um, Hebrews 5, verses 3 through 6. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sins, for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, was the high priest in those days. And the high priest had to make an offering for sin. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever, not after the order of, of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. And that goes way before the law, way before the Levitical priesthood, showing that it's not by the law, but by grace through faith. So he was a type of the high priest, that Jesus is the high priest of a higher order than any of that that took place in Judaism. So he's greater than the high priest of Judaism. And then it goes on. He's greater than any sacrifice. Look at the Hebrews chapter 10. Again, once again, when I read these verses, I don't know what it does. Sometimes it makes me just jump out of my skin. Every high priest daily, standing daily, ministering and offering oftentimes same sacrifices, which can sometimes take away sin. A little bit take away sin. Maybe the venial ones, but not the mortal ones. The, no? The little ones? What's the word? Everybody say it out loud. Never take away sin. But this man, this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till all his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Have you been sanctified by the blood of the Lamb? You are forever, forever, praise God, perfected in the sight of Almighty God. And guess what? Animal blood can't do that. Look at the next one. He's the mediator of a better covenant, established upon better promises. But now hath he obtained a more excellent name or ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. I sometimes get tickled when I hear people say, but you know, that was just, that was the blessing for the uh, Israelites because you see, he would bless them in the city, he would bless them in this field, he would bless them in the basket, he would bless them in the store. He'd bless their coming in, he would bless their going out, you know, he would bless their rising up, he would bless their lying down. And, and then they stand real timidly like as if, yeah, um, don't you wish you were an Israelite? No, I don't. You know Why? Ephesians 1 3 says, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He has blessed us beyond words and comprehension, praise God, with everything that God owns. Hallelujah! Man, if that doesn't make a shout, get a new shouter. <laughs> Glory. Can you see that? We've been blessed with every spiritual, and it's almost as if what Christ has done is minimized. And what Judaism produces maximize. I am not in any way criticizing Judaism. You understand, I'm putting it in its proper place. I'm giving its right its rightful place. But all that is ended. There's a new and living way. What's his name? Okay. And what about this one? Are you ready for it? Better blood. 
Better blood. Mm, I don't know. If you got your seatbelt on, tighten it up right now. His blood speaks better things than that of Abel's. Let's read that. Hebrews. What it says. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once to the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hallelujah. His blood speaks. Remember, we talked about last week, what does Abel's blood speak out for? Vengeance. What does the blood of Jesus speak out? What does it tell us? It, it speaks of life. It speaks of justification. It speaks of sanctification. It speaks of cleansing. It speaks of communion. It speaks of victory. And it speaks of redemption. We have been redeemed. It's the time of Jubilee. We've been redeemed not by silver, not by gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus. Without spot, without blemish, we've been redeemed by His blood. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I want to say this, say this kindly. My roots are not in Italy. First of all, I'm American, Italian. If I go by ancestry, I'm Greek. I told them when I got that back, I says. I've eaten more pizza to make me more Italian than anything else in the world. So I don't buy what you did. Alright? I don't get it. Look at Colossians chapter 2. Where are your roots? Whenever you talk about your roots, make sure you look at this. You're not rooted in this, in that, in the other thing. It's not... Italian roots, Greek roots, Hebrew roots, Jewish roots. You've got a root system, my brother and my sister. Are you ready for it? As you have therefore received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you've been circumcised... Look at this, with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ which is in the heart, buried with Him in baptism, where also you were risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and spoiled all principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Hallelujah. That is the cross. Glory to God. Hallelujah. 
What is that saying? Judaism can take us so far and then boom, you hit the wall and say that's it. It can't go no further. It can only go up to the veil. It cannot go into the veil. But praise God, Jesus takes you all the way into the throne of Almighty God where you can sit before the presence of the glory of the living God and say, what can you say? What did we start with? He wanted to have a family. Judaism could never produce the family. Why? The bloodline is still tainted. The seed of the bloodline is still tainted with the Adamic sin nature. But the moment you got born again, your heavenly Father gave birth to you. Of His own will begat He us with the word of truth. He cleansed you from that Adamic sin nature and He gave you a position as a son or a daughter, and what can you cry out? Abba, Father, the dream has come true. You are the Father's dream that has come true. You are a son. You are a daughter of the Most High God. God has a family. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Mm. You say, why are you so excited? Okay, I'll tell you why. How many of you know that Chris and Michaela just had a baby? Everybody knows Chris and Michaela had a baby. How many know there was a time when Chris and Michaela couldn't have a baby? And it was only a desire. It was only a dream. And there were some issues to deal with to make the dream to come true. Just like a lot of people have, right? When the dream came true. He walked to my office today. He was a glow. Becker comes running to my office today. He goes, I've got a baby brother. His name is Jedi. They're shouting. They're excited. They're exuberant. There's life there. There's joy there. Guess what? There's joy before the throne of God when one person makes a decision to accept Christ. It's joy unspeakable. It is full of glory. When one person says, yes, I make it my sin, you become a son of God. He rips you from the throes of darkness. He pulls you out of the devil's clutch. And he puts you into his kingdom as a son, as a daughter of the Most High God. And your heart cries out, Oh, my Father, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, let's stand up and praise him.